We've been doing a series called Ignorant. Today is the last one. And we're concluding. We've done a couple weeks on the Spirit, Old Testament, Spirit in Jesus. And it's the one of the things that they actually the Bible tells us don't be ignorant of. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1, don't be ignorant of the Spirit. Don't be ignorant of how the Spirit is supposed to be working, not only in the world, but also in your life, in my life, in church life. Okay, so that's what we're doing today. We're concluding there. I think it's a great way to conclude the Ignorant series. I think it's a massive push of the Bible, that we retake the position that we are supposed to have in the garden, communion with God. That happens now with the Spirit. We come, we as believers become the very temple of the Holy Spirit. All right, so with that in mind, let me try to illustrate maybe where we've gone wrong. So college football has begun, right? The ladies are mad, the guys are happy. And I would say this, college football is a test of a man's character. Will you stick with your loser team? Right? There are bandwagon fans that somehow every year they've always loved the winning team. Like, how's that possible, man? Did, did you like the other team last year? No, no, this has always been my favorite team. Uh-uh. You are a person that lacks any character and loyalty. You should repent right now and be ashamed of yourself. You stick with your loser team. That's what I'm doing. I've been doing it for a long time. Character, man. Okay, there's my rant. Here's my point. Every team, most teams, have a person that's the key. And if you take out that key person, you can usually defeat that team. So University of Oregon this year, who is the key person? Justin Herbert, right? The QB. Projected to be high first round draft pick. One of the best football players in the country right now. If you're gonna beat Oregon, guess what you have to do? You have to take him out. I think that the enemy of our faith knows when it comes to the church, there is a key. That if the church is going to be defeated, this key has to be taken out. Guess what that key is? The spirit. The spirit in the church. If we can just somehow get it weirded out or, or somehow get believers to not engage with God's spirit, then they are going to be a defeated group. And it's not just me. Um, the Reverend Billy Graham, who is not a moccasin, snake-handling, Jesus guy, right? He's pretty down the line. Billy Graham has this great quote. Let me read it for you. It's amazing. He says this, and I quote, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They're hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected. And they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. You ever felt that way? Man, me. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. How good is that? That's the Reverend Billy Graham. Probably should listen to him. So he has preached to more people than any other person alive. 
that has ever lived. He's seen churches, he's seen it, and he says, here's the key. The key, maybe in church, because of our enemy, has got so clouded and weirded out that now we don't move in the way that we should. So here's what I wanna try to do. I'm gonna look at some, look at my boot just fell apart. <laughs> it's the bottom of my boot, there you go. If I fall down, you'll know why. It wasn't me, it's the, my, the heel of my boot just fell. I thought, I'm like, what in the world is happening here? It's like, this leg is shorter. We can have a miracle right now, my leg can grow. Oh my goodness, so random. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know why I have this position. I'll be honest with you. The most random thoughts go through here. Usually I cannot engage them, but this morning it doesn't appear that's gonna happen. So get ready. The spirit is moving. Oh. So here's what I wanna try to do. I wanna try to answer some questions that when I talk with people, they'll ask. And so question number one is, like, why does it seem like the church doesn't move in the fullness of the spirit? or me individually? Second question, what do I need? What does the church need to actually be full of the Spirit? What do we need? What is it? Thirdly, how do you evaluate a move? How do I evaluate my own life? Is this a genuine work of God's Spirit? Like, how do I know? And then lastly, what I wanna do is I wanna look at one gift in particular. I think might be a real key for us in the 21st century in America to begin to see active in the body life of church, okay? So question one, why aren't we full of God's spirits? Why don't we see this kind of work? So here's, I have seven reasons why I think there is a lack of it. Number one, theology. So there is a theological system called cessationists. A cessationist is a person who looks at the Bible and says this, the sign gifts, miracles, healing, prophecy, tongues, the sign gifts are no longer active in the church today. That they were only for the apostles, and when the apostles died, those gifts stopped with them. So that's called a cessationist. They're not bad people, they love Jesus, they do good things, However, here's what I think happens. You and me, our faith, our theology in God actually matters. That we, when we say, I don't think God works that way, guess what God doesn't do then? He doesn't work that way. That if someone, like to me, if someone says, man, I don't believe you. I don't believe you'll jump off this bridge. Guess what I'll do? Oh yeah? Well, I'm going to the hospital then, right? It like offends me, and I have to prove to you that I'll do it. Disbelief does not do that to God. God has nothing to prove to you and me. So when I say, well, I don't think God works that way, God just says, fine. Right? Matthew 13, 58, it says, Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Hebrews 3, especially verse 13. Right? It says that they could not go into the promised land because of their unbelief. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. So God just says, oh, I'm out then. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20. 
despise not prophesying, this move of God's Spirit, quench not the Holy Spirit. That if we despise the way that God's Spirit is moving, somehow that actually quenches his fire in that church, in that group, in that believer. So I think theology matters. And there's a way that we can theologically be like, no, I don't think God works that way. And God says, okay, I won't. There's a second theology that I think limits God, and it's this. Let go and let, that nice ring to it, but is it biblical? Can you find that in Scripture? That you just kind of let go and you float around and hope something happens? I don't think so. In fact, as I read Scripture from Genesis through Revelation, I see partnership over and over and over again. The high priests come to the banks of the Jordan to cross over and go into the promised land, and God tells them, the moment you step your foot into the Jordan, it will part. Now, if they just stood there and said, well, I'm just going to let go and let God, they'd still be there to this day. It took a step. Peter had to step out of the boat before he walked on water. Jesus, we studied him. Partnership. He decides to get baptized. He takes a step. He's then empowered by God's spirit. He preaches in the power of God's spirit. It's partnership. That's why Philippians 2, 13 and 14 put it like this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out. Verse 14. For it's God that works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Partnership. Over and over and over again. Partnership. The Bible doesn't divide things out like we do. Like this is spiritual and this is flesh. It never does that. That when you see the empowering work of God's spirit, it's actually me becoming who God has actually designed me to be. The gifts, the talents, the abilities I have, it's me being the more loving person I should be, the more empowered person I should be, the kinder, it's God's spirit grabbing me and me becoming, yes, the way I'm supposed to be. Amplifying, if you would. Partnership. So I think theology will do it to you. Um, you look at Bezalel. He didn't say let go and let God. He was a craftsman that was an anointed with God's spirit and he became a better craftsman. Joseph, who could interpret dreams when he was a kid and made massive mistakes with it, got all of his brothers mad at him, got his mom and dad mad at him. But then God's spirit fills him and he starts to do a much better job at it, right? So it's not let go and let God, it's partnership. So I think theology can do it. Number two, Fear. I think God's spirit doesn't work in the lives of believers because of fear. And I think sometimes our fear is well-founded. I have YouTube. People send me clips of their favorite church doing crazy stuff. And I think to myself, oh God, no, never, right? I don't want any part of that. Like, we'll talk about evaluating, like, that, that doesn't look like good church to me. That looks weird and bizarre and crazy. No thanks. I'm going to huff and puff and blow everybody over. Listen, we're not doing three pigs and the wolf here. All right? So there's some of that that I just go, yeah, I get it. No thanks. And whenever I do that, think about these certain activities, I just wonder, where's the mission to that? What is this actually accomplishing to bring the kingdom down what is it doing to bring the kingdom right in those activities? And, and a lot of times I can't figure it out. So fear sometimes, like it's going to get weird. I don't want any part of that. Thirdly is apathy. 
The Bible says we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and we shall be filled. We have a congregation, we have a world now that, man, we can get filled in so many other wells. Ah, I don't know, you know, on Netflix. I got a new trinket, right? In Jesus' time, I got new oxen, I got a new house, I can't, I can't do that. There's a lot of apathy in our world today. And it's Siamese twin is busyness. Like, I'm just too busy, I don't have, I don't have time. Well, the Bible presents the spirit as God's personal presence in your life. And any personal relationship requires time. It wasn't on your wedding day, you said I do to your spouse, and you're like, you know what? We'll chat later. You know, at some point, we'll get together. We're married, we're good now. No, it wouldn't work. I think sometimes we get so busy, we don't actually have time for God. Fifthly, I think disappointment. Matt, I tried that. I hungered and thirsted. I, I prayed for to be filled. I prayed to be empowered, and nothing happened for me. It failed. I can feel that one. Because there was a time in my life where I was reading heavily about uh, really the Pentecostal roots, the Finneys the D.L. Moody's, even Jonathan Edwards and Blaise Pascal who had these moments So you're just like, whoa. And so D.L. Moody actually separated himself for three days and went into a hotel in New York City, just locked himself in there and then emerged from that full of the spirit and the rest is history. He transforms our nation. So that's what I did. I went to a cabin and for three days I was in this cabin fasting and praying. I read through the entire New Testament and there was nothing. There was no burning bush. There was no tongues of fire. There was no rushing wind. Nothing. So I can get disappointment. Okay. That's hard. Sixthly, I think weird focus. I think sometimes the, the whole thing about being full of the Spirit can be weird. Like I grew up Pentecostal. So the church I grew up in was, I remember as a little kid, you know, like there was no kid service for us, so you're in for like a two and a half hour service. And so as a five, six year old, guess what? That meant sitting for a while, that meant laying down for a while, that meant climbing under the chair for a while, that meant wandering off for a while, right? You did the whole thing. And during that time, there'd be like middle of the service, just people speaking in tongues, and I'm just like, what in the world, right? So that was my upbringing. Well, I rededicate my life, I go, I'm in school, I get involved with Campus Crusades for Christ up at OSU, and they link me with this guy named Bill. In our first meeting, we go to lunch in the MU there, the Memorial Union, and we're eating lunch, and Bill looks at me and goes, so what do you want from your relationship with God? And I just go Pentecostal. I'm like, I want everything, man. I want book of Acts. I want miracles. I want power. I want speaking in tongues. I want faith. I want healing. And he just got nervous. He's like, well, um, actually, at Campus Crusade for Christ, um, we don't really believe that God does that anymore. I'm like, what? I got called my mom that night. I'm like, mom, man, the people up here are weird. She's like, oh, you mean the atheists? I'm like, no. Oh, you mean the agnostics? No. Oh, you mean the pagans? No. Oh, you mean the liberals? No. The Christians. They don't believe God does anything anymore. 
But here's the reason why I want it. And I want to call down fire on those liberals' heads. Right? I want the power, I'll show you. Which is a weird focus. And the Holy Spirit is not a parlor trick for me to pull out and manipulate like I want. I come to the Spirit and I say, I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. You're God and I'm not. So we've got to be careful about the weird kind of focuses we can get. You're not here to make much of me, Matt Heverly. I'm here to make much of you and to be sent out on mission to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the focus. And sometimes that gets lost. And seventhly, sin. Sin will hinder you. Read Acts 19. With purity comes power. And if I'm actively engaged in sin, the Bible says I will grieve the Holy Spirit. So sin will hinder. Now, Thursday morning, I just sat down and I just, all seven of these. You know why? I could just list these out off the top of my head because I've done them all. All right, that's me. Right, I can say, theologically, I'm not a cessationist, but the way I live, very cessationist. And just go down the list. It's me, that's why. So I think we've got to really evaluate where am I at? Am I guilty of these things? And that could be the reasons why, personally or even corporately, we're not seeing the fullness. Right? Second question. Okay, then what do we need to be full of the Spirit? If that can hit the Spirit, then what, what do I need? Because there is a certain kind of way of theologically thinking about things in Christianity where there's like junior varsity and there's varsity, right? JV, you're saved. Now, that's good for you. But over here, we're the varsity. We've been filled with the Spirit. We are empowered. We speak in tongues, right? There's this idea. Hey, you're a, you're a private first class. Yeah, you're in the army. But you don't have access to anything. I'm a five-star general. Learn from me. Right? So there can be this division where it's like different classes of people. Well, is that true? Well, let's look. So Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Listen to what it says. This is the first message of the church right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look what Peter says. Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will, you might circle the word will, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, it's not ending with this generation, and for those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter makes it very clear. When you repent, when you're baptized, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are given his spirit. Immediately. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says you're baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ. It happens instantly. But Matt, I've heard about a second baptism or a full baptism or the next baptism. I've heard about all these things. Well, I think if you read Acts, what you see is there's one baptism and there's many fillings because you and I are leaky vessels. So we wake up in the morning and we say, Jesus, I leaked yesterday. 
Man, did I blow it. I really leaked. I need your spirit. Fill me today. It's actually a command, Ephesians 5.18. Be ye imperative. You do it. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Matt, I don't know. Okay, let me give you one more text. Listen to this one. This is Peter talking. And Peter puts it like this. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted past, present, future tense. You can answer. Past tense. Already happened. Not waiting for something, not tearing around, has granted. To us all things. How many things? Some things. Most things. 99% of things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Past tense. You have been given his spirit. It has already empowered you. It's inside of you. You're not waiting for something else. I explain it like this to people. You seen the movie Wizard of Oz? Okay, Dorothy's house sucked up in a tornado into the Wizard of into Oz, lands on the Wicked Witch, right? And then what does the fairy godmother do? Takes off the shoes from the Wicked Witch and puts them onto Dorothy. In the actual book, they're silver shoes, but they didn't show up on film, so they t- turned them to ruby shoes. What are those shoes? Aren't they the key to getting home? Right? She gets to the very end of the movie after the crazy monkeys steal Toto. After she goes through hell, essentially, she gets to the end of the movie. What's the fairy godmother say? Oh, I forgot to tell you. Just click your heels together and you get to go home. Why didn't you tell me at the beginning? You were a wicked woman, right? Listen, when you believe, you're given the shoes. That doesn't mean we don't grow and we don't mature. We totally do. But Peter makes it very clear twice. Acts. And in his epistle, you have it. Yes, grow. Yes, Lord. Yes, mature. But you already have it. Everything. There's no waiting for something else. You've been given it. Well, then, Matt, what do I do? I think you do this one thing. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And it says this. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into Flame the gift of God which is in you. That's our job. Been given to you, what do we do? We fan into flame the gift that God has given to us. I don't even know my gift. How do I fan into flame a gift I don't even know if I have? How do I know my gift? This is what I tell people. You'll know your gift by this little measurement, joy squared. When you're doing what God has you to be doing, it will bring joy to you. You won't be miserable. You won't hate it. You'll be like, this is awesome. And then secondly, while you're doing it, it will bring joy to everybody else. If both of those are not there, probably not your gift. I'll give you an example. 
So I've grown into this kind of habit. In the mornings, I love to sing very loudly. It's just, I don't know how I got it. It's just, it brings me joy. I'll just say that. Great joy. So a number of years ago, Sunday morning, I was out in my study, I'd finished up, and I'm just singing loudly, joy. And I leave my study, and I walk into the house, and my wife, who's getting four kids ready for church and dealing with that, like herding cats, and she's got to deal with all those things, I come in, and to add to the whole confusion, I'm singing loudly again. And she says, honey, can you please not sing right now? So I was feeling really ornery. I looked at my wife and I said, I am not going to apologize for singing in the morning. <laughs> to which she said, if you heard yourself sing, you'd apologize. <laughs> Joy for me, not for anyone else. So guess what? Not my gift. If I was to grab this mic right here and sing loudly, I might have joy. You guys would not. So you'll know your gift when people say, I love it when you do that. I love what you're doing right there is awesome. I love it when you do that. And sometimes it's trial by error. So I did middle school ministry for a year. I was miserable. I knew not my gift. There's other people that are really good at that, not me. So then I moved to high school. I did a bunch of high school retreats and a bunch of high school stuff. And still, mm, I didn't really like that. A little bit better than middle school, but not really my thing. And there was this special needs thing, uh, a need at this time at, the, at Applegate. So I just jumped in with special needs for quite a while. And nope, not my gift. Then I went on the mission field, down for four months at an orphanage in Mexico, and then for about a year in Vanuatu. And I enjoyed that, parts of that, but no, I'm not supposed to be a missionary. And then I taught the Bible. And I thought, that's it. That's it. So I started to fan that, into flame that gift. And people would say, hey, you're pretty good at that. So I fanned it, and I fanned it. And I, I would, there was a period of time, I would teach the Bible anytime, any place. If you had invited me to your four-year-old's birthday party and be like, preach a sermon, I'd be like, perfect. I will do that. Four-year-old, sit down, let's preach. Right? Just anywhere, anytime. And for about three years at, it's called, it was called Vintage Suites now, I think it's now just called The Suites, for three years about, I would teach every Saturday morning at the old folks' home. And literally, I'd go in there all prepped and all prepared, and they would wheel in usually about a half dozen people that when they're wheeling them in, they're already asleep. You want reps teaching? Teach at the old folks' home, man. That will get you. I'd be like preaching away at them, just looking for any like sign of life, like a flicker or like a hand twitch. Hey, they like that, right on. I got them. Oh, man. Why? I'm fanning into flame. Didn't matter to me. I'm like, well, someone's here. I'm preaching. Just fan that thing into flame. Okay. Okay. All right. That's what we do. What's your gift? What do people say? I like it when you do that. Man, start fanning that into flame. Take opportunity. Get reps at it. That's what you do. Brings me joy. Brings joy to the people around me. I think that's how, right? Third question. All right, Matt, I think this is joy. It seems to bring people joy, brings me joy. I'm trying to get rid of the obstacles, I had those. How do I know if this is genuine? 
I don't know if it's just me or God's spirit or actually the enemy. I mean, how do I evaluate? Here's the grid I put things through. When someone sends me something, books I read, supposed revivals, here's the grid I run through. These four things to evaluate a genuine move of God. Number one, it has to be about Jesus. So in John chapter 15, verse 26, and in John 16, verses 13 and 14, twice in a row, here's what you see. Jesus says, I'm going, I'm gonna be crucified, buried, resurrected, I'll go back to the Father, and I will send my spirit to you. And he says this, number one, and when my spirit comes, he will testify of me. And then chapter 16, when he comes, he will bring glory to me. A true work of God's spirit will be all about Jesus. And so when I see these things, it's Holy Ghost this, Holy Ghost that. Hey, we got the Holy Ghost for the next week right here. Yeah, good luck with that. He's like the wind. You're not capturing the spirit. I just want to, well, I don't know, man. It should be about Jesus. So number one, I just look for, does this thing testify of Jesus, his life, his death, the cross, his resurrection, his power? And then number two, does it bring him glory? Is he lifted up? So that's... Number one. Number two, are the people involved in it, the people I'm talking to, the people that are coming to me, are they growing in holiness? So the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we keep our eyes on him, we are metamorphosized, changed into the same image by the power of the Holy Spirit. A true work of the Spirit will be transforming the people involved, their lives to look more like Jesus. That's what just happens. First or Romans 8, 29 just says this, that we're to be conformed to the image of the Son. My life should be changing. It should look more like Jesus. I should be having his fruit, his characters in my life. Number three, is it expanding the mission? So in Acts chapter one, Jesus' final words to his disciples, they get all caught up in eschatology. When are you coming back? How are we gonna figure this thing out? Jesus says, listen, don't worry about that. Rather, verse eight, wait until the dynamite of God's spirit comes upon you and you become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. A genuine work of God's spirit will be expanding the mission. People will be, in, be saved. Disciples will be being made. It's just gonna expand the mission. And then thirdly, or fourthly and lastly, it will always be biblical. The spirit, Peter tells us, 2 Peter, chapter one and two, the spirit is the author of scripture. So I know right away that the spirit will never have a work that contradicts the Bible. So, Quite a number of years ago, I was walking with a man who was involved in, in sexual sin, a problem with that. He was married. We're trying to walk out of that. And this is what he told me. He said, Matt, God told me to leave my wife. Convenient, huh? You know what? Would God's spirit say that? No, guess why? Because guess what the Bible says? The Bible says, love your wife. That's what the Bible says. But Matt, I'm not in love with her anymore. 
the Bible doesn't say be in love with your wife. The Bible says love your wife. Love her. But I don't feel like loving her. Okay, fine. The Bible also says love your neighbor as yourself. Your wife is your closest neighbor. Love her like yourself. Actually, Matt, she just moved out, so she's not my neighbor anymore. (laughs) Okay, fine. The Bible says this. It says, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. You love her like a sister in Christ. Well, Matt, actually, I'm not sure that she's saved, so I kind of get out of that. Well, the Bible also says, love your enemies. There you go. You got no out, man. That's what I mean. A guy that's going to say that, no way. I will trap you with God's word. The Spirit would not say that to you. It's always going to be biblical. The Spirit's not going to tell you to murder somebody or commit adultery. It's not going to do that. Your flesh will. The enemy will, 100%. The world will, but not God's Spirit. It'll always be biblical. So I take things and I run them through this grid. Is it about Jesus? Are the people involved growing in holiness? Is it like, man, I see God's love in you more and more and more and more? Is it going to expand his mission? Is it biblical? All right? So there's, in the New Testament, as you read it, you come across this, these texts that talk about, here's how God's spirit moves, and we call them the gifts. There's 21 of them. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. This list. So we get caught up in these, these, the Bible though, if you look at the Bible, the Bible's not caught up in the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible's caught up in the gift, singular of the Spirit. That that's what the emphasis should be. People get, get, okay, got all these gifts. Now, is that all the gifts that there are in the Bible? Is there 21 gifts that are written out in the New Testament? Is that it? I do not believe so. I think those are illustrating the way that God's Spirit works. Because it misses Bezalel and his gift to be a craftsman. It misses Joseph and Daniel, whose gift was translating dreams. Like those aren't in the New Testament. So I think you already know from the Old Testament, these are just illustrating the way that God works. I think there is a Holy Spirit gift of leading praise up here. Not included in that list, but man, I'm so glad for Spirit-empowered praise leaders. I think there is a Spirit-empowered gift of computer technology. I'm so thankful for Josh Cunningham and Johnny Collins, right? How much of the Bible is getting out because of really people with really good gifts with, with technology? Podcasting and, I mean, are you kidding me? Yes, those are gifts, okay? So we look at those and we kind of, okay, here's how things work. Great, great. And it's a good discipline to go through. Do one of these match with me? but never formulize God's spirit. Jesus says it's like the wind. Be careful with formulas. But there is one gift I think that's really important because of the breadth that you see of it in the Bible and also its power. So quickly, we'll look at this one gift. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. Long text, simple point. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of Yahweh. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. 
And Yahweh came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now, two men continued in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, great names for babies, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Little tattletale, huh? (laughs) And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. Verse 29 is a keeper. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all Yahweh's people were prophets and that Yahweh would put his spirit on them? Wow, what a text. You can just meditate on that one. And we saw last week that when Saul, the very first king, is anointed by God's spirit, He is changed into another kind of man, and he prophesies. Like we're getting, okay, a hint here. And then you keep moving. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. This is the verse that Peter in Acts chapter 2 quotes when Pentecost happens. When God's spirit falls like tongues of fire and a rushing wind. This is the text he quotes. Verse 28, Joel 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sounds like Moses, huh? Oh, that this would happen. It's gonna happen. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. You know why old men will dream dreams? Because we're just tired now. (laughs) When God gets us. So take a nap for the kingdom. God, speak to me in a dream. And your young men shall see visions. Okay, so notice that. There's a progression here. Then let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. So this is the Pentecostal text. This is the text that, okay, 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 you know, people talk about. Pursue love. Man, you better underline that. If you're a Holy Spirit dude, Holy Spirit gal, because if whatever you're into is causing division and dissension, you're not pursuing love. Read 1 Corinthians 13. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Interesting. For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the tongue. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, because the one that prophesies is greater. So, 1 Corinthians 14 is used by Pentecostals to say, hey, varsity people speak in tongues. But what is Peter, what is Paul actually saying here? He's quenching, he's like, because they were so ecstatic about it. He's like, listen, that's not the important gift. The important gift is prophesying. 
Now, what is prophesying? Well, let me read for you a definition. It is God's message proclaimed in the power of the Spirit that presses deep into the hearts of people, enabling them to see their lives and circumstances in the light of God's promises, priorities, and purposes. That is not my definition. I am not that eloquent. That is the head of theology at Western Seminary, a friend and a mentor. So if you do not like this definition, you can argue with him. Good luck with that. I have tried to argue with him multiple times. I have not won yet, right? I think it's a great definition. Well, how's it work? Let me give you an example. So, back in June, my wife and I went to this pastor's conference. Jesus Church Network, we're a part of it. We went to this, this pastor's conference in Lake Tahoe. My cross is heavy. I will bear it for you, though. So we go there. Um, and just to set it up, the week before we had left, we had a staff meeting where we were brainstorming about, hey, what's some fun things? What's a way to celebrate how good we have it? And we thought about doing a boxcar derby up here. Like having a massive like, festival up here, building a big ramp, having boys and girls come. If they need help building some boxcars, we'll get a bunch of guys together and help them build them. And then we're just going to race them down this hill and have a big barbecue and just laugh and have a good time. Okay? So th- that was just the week before I left. So I go up to there. We're at this conference. And um, the, night, like the night before we were leaving, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do tonight. Everyone's going to break out into groups of three. And you're going to sit there in this group of three with these other pastors, and you're going to pray for like 10, 15 minutes, and you're going to ask God, do you have a word of prophecy for me to give to these other two people in my group? I hate things like that. I'm like, oh, no, right? Everyone's going to know how totally unspiritual I am right now. Like, I am a student. That's what I do. I study, and I read, and I take time. I don't do things in 15 minutes. I'm not that kind of guy, so I'm just like, oh, man, I knew we should have left the day earlier. Right? So I just feel all that. I'm like, okay. And we got name badges on, and I sit down in this group, and there's this other guy there, and my name badge says Matt Edgewater. I look over at him. His name badge says Matt River's Edge. I'm like, hmm, what are we doing here, God? Uh Uh-oh, I'm really getting tingly right now. Ah! Right? So, so, and plus he was like stunningly handsome. So I'm like, look at this. My doppelganger. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so we do our thing, you know, pray and think. And, and he, this guy, he looks at me and goes, dude, it's the craziest thing. I have two things and, it, and it's, it's just weird. I don't understand them. But I'm going to tell you what I felt impressed to speak to you. He goes, number one, he said, I saw you driving this train. And it's this locomotive, and it had all these cars on it, and you're up in the front of it, and you're driving it. And I'm like, well, I am an engineer, so I guess engineers drive trains, all right. And he's like, but you're, you're pushing on the throttle, but you weren't just pushing on the throttle, you're actually pushing on the front of the dashboard, trying to make the train go, just exhausting yourself. He said, I felt like God was saying, you're not going to make the train go. You're not going to make that train go any faster by pressing on the front of the dashboard. Relax. I'll make the train go. 
And so I heard that, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm a skeptic. I'm like, oh, that could go for anybody, right? Couldn't anybody, like, put themselves in that kind of like, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, all right. So I'm like, mm, okay, uh, maybe, maybe not. And he said, but the second thing is so random and bizarre, I almost don't want to say it. Because I saw you at, like, this festival. You're at this festival, and you're having a great time, and you're laughing. And then, then the craziest thing is, you got inside this little car, and you're racing this little car. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and then he's like, you know, you know what those little cars are? And I was not going to give him the name. I'm like, if it's God's spirit, he'll get the name. Right? And he goes, oh, I just can't figure out the name. But you're in this car, you're laughing. Man, what are those little cars called? I'm like, he goes, boxcar derby. I'm like, ah! There it is, oh no! Prophecy. Okay, here's what was happening in my heart. Because if you keep reading 1 Corinthians 14 and you skip down to verse 24, listen to this. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. In my heart, here's what was happening. When Edgewater first started, and we're at Fruitdale Elementary, I would have this reoccurring dream, a nightmare. And if you know me, I am pretty even. There's barely anything that gets me very up or very, I just, I'm an even guy. That's just the way I am. I'm even. I don't get depressed. I don't have that. But I had this dream. It was a nightmare. And I'd go down to Fruitdale, and I'd pull in there, and there'd be nobody. Just me, my wife, and my kids. And it would just be like, oh, I'd wake up just kind of like, oh, heavy, heavy from that dream. And, and that lasted for a couple of years and then you find your swing, you find your voice, you find just confidence in God, and it goes away. And I was like, so thankful. Then this church, this building opened. The week after this church opened, guess what dream I had? Same one. Because all of a sudden, it's not like Fruitdale anymore. All of a sudden, there's mortgages and there's bills. And it was like, oh, go, right? And it was waiting. And I was waking up saying, I don't want to do this again. I don't want these dreams again. Oh, I can't take it. I don't want to wake up this way. And after that night, when that guy spoke that, three and a half months ago, I have not had that dream since. I was set free. The secrets of my heart were exposed. And God's message was proclaimed in the power of the Spirit in such a way that it pressed into my heart, enabling me to see my life and my circumstances in the light of God's promises, his priorities, and his purposes. And I was set free. That's powerful. When I think about the church in the 21st century, 2019, I think we need this gift more and more. So what does that mean? I know I've gone long. What does that mean? I think it means something individually. 
that we should be a people that say, if this is the gift we should be moving in, and it seems that way, God, help me to move in that. Help me to be bold in that. Maybe it's a prophetic word for my spouse or for one of my kids where they're at right now or for a coworker, or maybe it's a letter I need to write or a person I need to reconnect with or maybe it's just that person in line. God, I sense something for them because wow, it can have such power. It's like, whoa. So every once in a while, I think it happens when I teach. There's gonna be a prophetic word where somebody for the first time comes here and I preach and they're like, how did you know that message was for me. Are you kidding me? How did you know? And I always joke, well, your wife called me this morning, so. <laughs> but the truth is, it's just God's spirit doing what God's spirit does brilliantly and beautifully to let them know you matter and I love you. And they fall on their face and they say, God is in this place. Oh, we need that. I think we need to cultivate that personally. But also, I, I ask you to just pray for leadership because I actually talked about prophecy to our elders about three and a half years ago. Like I said, I think this is the way the church is gonna go forward. Like th th that we engage in this incredible gift. But how do you do that in a church? I don't even know. I don't know of a church that does it well. And I go to a lot of churches. But I think this is one of the gifts that are gonna be so important for the body of Christ moving forward people moving in that beautiful, orderly, not weird, just, man, how'd you know? God loves you. God loves you. So pray for us. Pray for leadership. Pray that we know how to do that. Can we do this well? Because I think it's really powerful. It set me free. It mattered in my life. It set me free. So Jesus, today, we want to be a people who are sensitive to your spirit that move, that are moved by your Holy Spirit in ways that glorify and testify of Jesus, in ways that bring us into personal holiness, purity, in ways that expand your mission, that line up with scripture, that bring joy to us and bring joy to the people that we are with. And so I ask even this day, Lord, that you would guide us as a church culture into a place where there's a freedom to prophesy in the biblical best way, where it's encouragement, edification, and comfort. Where the, the, the very heart we hold dear is disclosed and it brings glory to you. And we say of a truth God is in this place. Oh, give us wisdom how to do that in a way that's right and true and pure and powerful. And I pray this in your name, amen.